You're listening to the Out in the Open Radio Hour on WBEW LP Brattleboro 1077 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests and not of the radio station. Today we are talking about wealth redistribution. We recorded these interviews uh, during the week of May 18th, the week before George Floyd's death. Uh, May this episode serve as a call to white folks with access to wealth to redistribute it now in this critical time and on into the future. Here in Vermont, there is a call out from black folks for white community members to create or participate in giving circles. Much more about that by reaching out to wealthforblackvermonters at gmail.com. And we'll put a link uh, to that on our website as well. Our friends at the Root Social Justice Center have mutual aid efforts underway, in addition to all of their already fabulous work. You can find out more about that and how to support them in their work at therootsjc.org. And Out in the Open also has created a mutual aid fund for rural, QT BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus people. And you can find information about how to support that and or to request support from that fund at weareoutintheopen.com org slash mutual aid. In this two-part series, we're talking with rural white queer people who have been engaging in giving wealth away to movements for racial and social justice. It's a strange time to be highlighting white voices, want to acknowledge that. And also, white folks, white people with access to wealth in these episodes are talking to you. You can join with folks like the people in these episodes to spread, a ra- to spread around an accumulated resource, wealth, and money that belongs to the whole community. Share power, resources, and decision-making with black and brown people, with queer and trans people, with rural people. If the folks in these uh, two episodes that we've talked to have done it, you can too, and we know that the time is now. May this be a call to action uh, for those of you white folks with access to wealth who are not yet engaged in the movement. So I hope you get something out of these conversations uh, our Director of Development and Outreach, Ayne Thompson, and I had with Lane Fury, Lucy Kahn, and Flannery McDonald. In this first episode, conversations with Lane and Flannery, um, and next week we will share some information, uh, we'll share our conversation with Lucy. Follow up and reach out to us if you want to continue learning, talking, giving, acting, organizing, mobilizing, and tearing down white supremacy, racism, transphobia, homophobia, and all the other forms of oppression while we build something new together. We're here with Lane Fury, um, and we're talking about wealth redistribution and access to resources and um, all that kind of good stuff. Lane, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. And I forgot to mention that I'm outside. So if the bird song is annoying you, let me know and I'll get some earbuds. I think it's very pleasant. And also like, you know, audio is such a like rich medium in some ways and not in others. I think like people being able to have a sense of where folks are, it's like very nice. So um, well, can you, why don't you introduce yourself and in any way that you wish, whatever you want our listeners to know about you. Yeah, for sure. My name is Lane Fury. I use they, them pronouns. I live in Barrie, Vermont, in in central Vermont. I spend a lot of my days working in cooperative finance at the Cooperative Fund of New England and also mix in there a lot of work with resource generation as a local chapter leader. I founded a chapter here in Vermont maybe about five years ago. And um, I also do national organizing with resource generation right now in a group that's forming a national member leadership body for that organization. Yeah, being here. The one of the things that was initially inspiring us to do this episode was um, 
I mean, we're always thinking about redistributing and access to resources, but um, was, yeah, the stimulus checks and resource generations share my check campaign. And yeah, wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. And I mean, yes, here we are getting into resource generation, like who is our G? Tell us yeah. more about that. Yeah, Research Generation is a national organization that organizes young people with wealth and class privilege to become transformative leaders working towards a world in which land, wealth, and power are equitably distributed. Can you tell I've said that mission statement a few times? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm with Definitely. you. Yep. Um, yeah, so we have local chapters across the country, I think something like 16 chapters, and a lot of people are involved in national campaign work as well, um, in particular in partnership with um, Movement for Black Lives and the Center for popular democracy, um, working on ways of valuing labor for all is like the kind of campaign heading for that. And um, uh, I've been involved with RG for about seven years now. And I mean, I have, I wasn't centrally involved in like coming up with the Share My Check campaign, but I can say that I personally, as somebody who has inherited wealth, I, I don't have like a trust fund, but I ongoingly inherit wealth from my parents every year. And then, um, I also do make above $75,000 a year now, but I didn't in 2018 or whenever they were basing the checks off. So I was just really, I was upset. I was like, it just, and just, it's like one of these like really clear ways in which, you know, equality and equity are so obviously different, right? To say, mm -hmm. let's get an equal slice of the stimulus is just like, why is this on me as an individual? Why is this on us as individuals to acknowledge that this is not, equitable that there are people for whom this $1,200 is absolutely not enough and for me it's just like I absolutely don't need it you know so um as I was feeling that rage <laughs> there was a campaign getting put together by research generation staff and I first saw it coming from Yaya who's um the campaign director now I think um mm -hmm. and they were kind of pushing out this this is a great opportunity to really demonstrate this exact thing that like pretty much every single person either really, really needs this right now or really, really doesn't need this right now. But a lot of people are getting access to it who don't need it. And a lot of people who really need it are not getting access to it, right? right. So absolutely, um, what a great moment to show all of those folks who don't need it, but are getting it, what it means to not, to not need it um, as we can, we're hearing over and over um, or reading or, you know, watching whatever news sources that they're, they're folks who are really, really in need right now. Um, what a mm -hmm. great opportunity to sort of harness that energy. And, um, and it's also to me, I think just the, the, the smallest sliver of what the hope is for people to, to start acknowledging and getting involved in that. Yeah. Like share your check right now, but also that's, that's not going to be enough. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a great jumping off point for like introducing the notion of redistribution to people who maybe haven't thought about it before and with a really yeah, just like here's this very specific chunk of money that none of us had been planning on and like let's talk about what to do with it. Um yeah, it seems like very very well timed. Speaking of what to do with it, that's kind of something that we're wondering as well too about um what wealth redistribution means to you and kind of the values that you look for and you know are seeking when you look for where to share your check yeah that's such a huge question yeah like, kind of, <laughs> take any part of it yeah why i've been involved with rg for seven years is to try to figure out some of the answers to that which a lot of it to me is also like um bringing in more diverse decision making than just me, right? That's always one of the big things we talk about at Research Generation is that when wealthy people decide 
how resource allocation goes, we mess it up big time. Um, and mm -hmm. that it's really important to be doing redistribution work in ways that are integrating um, collaborative decision-making that are cross-class or ideally actually just led by the people who are most impacted by whatever issue it is, which is also a paradox. It's a conundrum. It's like, how do I find the people to give it to who are then going to redistribute it on my behalf or whatever, you know, like, so yep. it's just a little bit messy in that way. And I do think that um, being in relationship is a really important part of that process. And then also being okay with it being messy is the other end of the spectrum. It's like um, that, like, you can just give it away. That's fine. Just give it away. You're yep. probably not doing harm by giving it away. <laughs> Great. Let's start there. And then like, ideally, um, to be in relationship and understand what it means to be giving it away and understand what the other needs are and understanding what else can I give with this? You know, mm -hmm. is it just the check or can I give some of my time right now for me that's a hard no i cannot give any of my time yeah. um but also it's like oh can i connect you with somebody else who can give some of their time or oh can i connect you with other people who can also share their checks or oh like do i have access to information that you might need right now like there's all of these different um ways of uh sharing more and redistributing more than just the money and you only know that through relationship and you also only know you know what the impact is and what it's going to do through relationship and then you also only know about those other opportunities and other ways of connecting through that so i can even share like very transparently i'm a donor to out in the open as yeah. i brought together a group of friends and said hey let's give away ten thousand dollars together this year of my money you know and um that concept of my money is something that I'm also not really into, right? I was like, let's look at this as our money and let's look at this yeah. as the greater world's money. And if that's true, like, where do we want this to go? And it was another friend of mine who said out in the open. So it's like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even necessarily have this direct connection to y'all um, without that uh, sort of collective decision-making process. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, as we've been talking to folks this week, there's, yeah, there's just so many connections with like how we do our work and like view our movement building and this like, you know, small slice of redistribution, right? Like we're talking with um, Flannery yesterday and they were just like, this for me is all about like redistributing power and making authentic connections. And I think, um, yeah, like being able to do this work in the way you were just describing feels really important. So We've also been talking a lot about redistribution as like a very queer act. And yeah, wondering if you have thoughts about how that work for you and part of your life like relates to LGBTQ community specifically and like and queerness. That's so interesting. Cause I think, I mean, where my mind goes with this, which I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is what you mean, but I think about how like as a white class privileged person, I actually wouldn't have connection to or understanding of what's meant by mutual aid right now. Like mutual aid is now like a hot word and everybody's talking about it, but the concept that actually like in particular, like poor working class, black and brown indigenous folks have been doing mutual aid since the beginning of time and will continue to, you know, it's like, a, this is not yeah. a new concept for a lot of people of like, we're not going to let anybody get left behind, but also as a queer person, like that is something that's definitely in, my community in like a really personal way and so it's not so much a concept of redistribution like this is mine and I'm going to redistribute it but actually like it is all ours right like that like for me that's Absolutely. how I understand mutual aid of like no we're in community together and if you need something right now I'm going to get that to you you know um I also yeah. think maybe this is getting away from what we're talking about but in this moment it's just phenomenally challenging of like what does family mean and 
um, as a rural queer family does not mean the people who live within the four walls of my house. Like that is absolutely yeah. not what it is. And so to have all of these, you know, restrictions coming down that are talking about like your household, I'm like, no, that's not my family. So absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's getting away from what we're talking about at all. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, queer, like queer notions of family and like who's included and thinking about like, what are the resources that we all have access to and are we sharing them with who? And I think being able to ask ourselves those questions. Yeah, just like to me feels like inherently super queer. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm, yeah, same, same. Um, sharing a similar experience what you were just saying of, yeah, there are, there are more people um, who are my family than are in this place where I happen to be right now. Yeah. So how did you first start thinking about this? Like, was this something that was kind of always on your mind or did you have a certain kind of political education before you decided this was something you want to participate in? Like specifically wealth redistribution. Um, I mean, it's like, where, where do I start? <laughs> uh, uh, I think for me, I, I had chronic depression starting at age 10, just like with this real extreme dissonance of living in a, you know, in a wealthy household, but also like surrounded by even wealthier households and also being told that I was deserving of everything, but then also seeing people who were, but were, did not have anything, you know? So there was just like, just not a lot of ability to process that. And I found research generation sort of through some of that, um, just like existential struggle, you know? Uh, and uh, really in that, um, school like in research generations political education i think i was already pretty politicized in a lot of ways and like saw injustice but also did not see my role in it in particular this sort of paradox of like being connected on a heart level but also not actually like bound up in any struggle as a um as wealthy white person and um to be invited into like in particular not just like redistributing what I have direct access to in terms of resources as I mentioned I'm not somebody who like inherited a trust fund necessarily but I have like a really pretty close relationship with my parents and family um, who are multimillionaires you know and so to be invited not just into doing that myself but being told like actually we need young wealthy folks in this movement but actually we also need you to show up as young wealthy folks we don't need you to show up pretending that you're not and like just doing phone banking or whatever you know like you need to actually bring your family and bring their checkbooks and bring all their friends and all of their checkbooks, you know? And so um, getting connected to that, uh, that possibility and the amount of healing that I've been able to do personally and with my parents and in my family um, through that process of like coming into, I think about it as integrity, right? Like all of the pieces are together. We're not like fracturing ourselves, but we're coming in integrity as a full integrated human. Um, and showing up in spaces and it's like a world away from some of the um, Occupy Wall Street marches that I made my parents Absolutely. in college. I like made like a like we are the 99% sign for my mom to hold and she was like honey I don't think this is true. <laughs> You're like I want to be part of the movement. <laughs> So to be like going from that like pretty uncomfortable like I don't really know where we're at kind of space to like oh okay let's actually like set up a donor advised fund at Social Justice Fund Northwest it's like funding some of the organizations that are actually organizing those marches you know like let's actually like show up in the ways that we can that are truly authentic. Yeah I think you know we're talking about this yesterday it's like no none of us are served by like 
shame and blame and guilt and like there's space for everyone in the work and like let's figure out how we can all be in it together Mm -hmm. um and yeah and right like we've all had moments of doing things like making we are the 99 percent signs when it's not really a fit for us right and like the many ways that like that kind of thing manifests so um yeah yeah Yeah, and i think i would just add on to that that also guilt to me is a tool right it's like not a not a state to sit in like it's not actually mm-hmm. useful to like wallow in my guilt or like feel self-pitying about feeling guilty which I think I did for like the first 24 years of my life you know like but then to be like oh okay this is actually information I feel guilty because something is wrong what am I going to do about that how am I going to act in that yeah 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 I want to shift us to this moment of a pandemic that we're living in um in this time of like wild pandemicness that we're in right now, do what's your vision for like how access to resources and um, many kinds of resources and wealth is available for people both during this pandemic and after? Like, what's your dream for a post-COVID world? I guess is a. Um... I have a million dreams. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's been really profound, I think, is how much everybody has been forced to understand the importance of people who we have been ignoring, right? So that's like yep. home health workers, as well as our entire, you know, healthcare in the hospitals system. That's our teachers. That's our food system workers at every level of the food system. Um, you know, daycare, any kind of childcare, sanitation workers, like all of these, like what we are now calling essential workers and also acknowledging the paradox of those are the people who are now getting paid less than people who are collecting unemployment now, you know, as they're the ones keeping our world together. Just the opportunity to actually see that so starkly. And I just like imagining all of those, like, I don't know, this is maybe, maybe you'll edit this part out, but just (laughs) imagining all of these, you know, Wall Street workers at home with their kids now being like, oh, I cannot do this. I am not good at childcare. Like, that's Mm -hmm. why I pay somebody else to do it, but they get paid a lot less than me. And that job is actually way more important than like uh, trading money on screens. And um, so to be able to actually acknowledge that, like that my dream is that there's like a course correction on that of like, what's the dignity with which people who are holding together, like the underpinnings of what humans need, which is food, childcare and shelter. That's really all we need. Like, um, I mean, and, and, and we need art, like we need all these other pieces, but like we don't actually need finance we be a tool to the rest of these things i say this as somebody who works in finance you know like um, (laughs) like the daily indignity that i get paid so much more than any of my friends who are doing all of those other things um and uh so that's that's my true dream is that there's like an underlying course correction which isn't like a clear answer to as to like what is the u.s policy that will get us there you know like um yeah 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 i mean i think this time is making it's making it's just making every many things much more clear in terms of like what are priorities and what is real and um yeah exactly what you were saying just to people who haven't been faced with the realities of those kinds of things before i think you know i was talking with a friend the other day who was we were talking about schools reopening in vermont and um just remembering back to early march when the conversation was really dominated by we can't close schools because they provide child care and then workers can't work and like making it clear that like the state's priority is that 
schools provide a place to put children so we can have people like in the labor market. There are a lot of folks who have had that understanding for a long time, but having that be really clear in like the public conversation is very different. Right. Um, yeah, it is a wild time right now <laughs> in many ways. Anything that, I mean, we have, there's many things we haven't asked you about, yeah. but is there anything that's particularly on your mind that you want to share with folks um, right now? Gosh. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the big things to me too, that becomes stark in who got the check, right? In terms of sharing my check yeah. um, and who didn't get their check and wanted to- This just, was like, literally my next question for you, Lane. <laughs> Go there, yes. <laughs> um, which I think is just such a tip of the iceberg because I don't want us to be just thinking about like, oh, everybody should have gotten a check. Because again, like that's not what equity is, right? Um, yep. But uh, that undocumented folks, including like, all of Vermont's, like what is keeping Vermont's dairy farms operating right now did not get checks. Mm. And um, sex workers did not get checks. You know, there's like so many people who are working in so many spaces. Um, the This sort of like, in order to earn a living wage, people who are working in restaurant industry underreport their tips so they don't have to pay taxes on it. And now they actually don't get to collect unemployment at any kind of yep. rate because they've been paying, they're being paid tip wages and like may or may not, we don't know how many tips they were actually getting on top of that. You know, like all of these different pieces of um, folks who operate in alternative economies that, um, that are so important and so foundational and so like, like, yeah, yeah, truly foundational, like in time and in contemporary terms, like uh, are the people who are not getting included in any of the stimulus package um, orientation. And so to be thinking about that as we're looking at like, yeah, what, what is an actually equitable way of structuring this into the future? And, you know, what's the short-term role of individual redistribution? I think that's another really important piece that um, yep. is a framing that I've heard from Research Generation, in particular, Danny West, the former um, development director, that like, we need to be engaging in voluntary reparations right now so that we can demonstrate that it's possible and create compulsory reparations. Like, it's never going to happen on an individual mm -hmm. That we actually get to where we need to go. This needs to be structural. This needs to be built into our systems that we're having that lens. But um, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's like right. The scale, the scale of what we're up against has always been greater than like the need that can be met by individuals. And again, I think that's even more clear at this time. It's just like, yes, it needs. This needs to be structural. Um, yeah, yeah. So much more to talk about. Yeah, excited to continue these conversations um, with you off off air and you know possibly on air again. And um, thank you for yeah sharing your thoughts about all of this stuff and for for <laughs> and for your work in the finance world. Um, <laughs> and like yeah, you know I think having having these conversations and the perspective of folks um, like you also working in that world I think makes a huge amount of difference too um, for bringing those those kinds of perspectives into places where they often are not. I imagine. Um, yeah, for sure. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with y'all and I'm really excited to be tuned in into the future, not just. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lane Fury. All right, people of Brattleboro, we need your help. Become a monthly sustainer for WVEW. Go to our website, wvew.org. Hit the donate button, select 10 bucks, click monthly donations, and we'll be forever grateful. And we'll send you a sticker as well. All right, help us out. Thanks, Brattleboro.
WBEWLP 107.7 Brattleboro's Community Radio Station and my name is Vidhi. You're going to listen to music like this every Thursday from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock on Vidhi's Bollywood Jukebox. Find more information on WBEW.org. Tune in every Thursday. Yeah. See you then. You're listening to the Out in the Open Radio Hour on WBEW LP Brattleboro 1077 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests and not of the radio station. So we're here on the Out in the Open Radio Hour. We are talking about wealth redistribution, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we're here with Flannery McDonald, who used to live up by us um, in Vermont. Flannery, do you want to, usually we like to start off with like, introduce yourself, however you might like uh, listeners to know you. Yeah, I'm Flannery. I use they, them pronouns. And I am an old Vermonter. For a little bit, I was a Vermonter for six years. So I feel like that makes me a Vermonter. And I miss it, and it has such a huge place in my heart, and um, I can't believe I'm missing the best season of Vermont right now. (laughs) But I moved to the West Coast because I've been on the East Coast for a long time, and I just wanted to experience this this side of things. So I'm here for now, and thank you for having me. Yeah, really happy to talk with you. It's always... um, it's this show is such a nice excuse for me to like connect with and reconnect with people. Um, so I am very happy to be talking with you. Um, so in your mind, will you tell us what is like, what do the words wealth redistribution mean for you? And then, you know, here we are at out in the open, as you know, our work is focused on rural LGBTQ stuff and so maybe sort of like generally that what is that idea for you and then if you have thoughts about within lgbtq community specifically i think wealth redistribution for me goes way beyond just numbers and money moving money i think it's a lot about um identity actually and moving power uh, uh out of out of your um one's lineage and ancestral history and it's it's pushing going upstream against what has been hundreds of years of pushing you into the place where you are now (laughs) where where one is inheriting wealth um that has been accumulating for generations um at the expense of other people and communities and countries and Mm. the globe and the the planet (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. it's uh, yeah I'll, that's that's sort of my my brief just broad definition and I think in terms of hmm, how do I connect it to to queerness I think uh, everything does <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what I think <laughs> uh, but I think it's specifically in in resource generation which is like some of my political home there's always at every conference they start with kind of saying like majority of the people here identifies lgbtq or jewish and there's there's an overwhelming number of people who within their families of wealth um, and power and privilege are somewhat marginalized to varying degrees 
and there's an ex- a shared experience of saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm not feeling like my needs are being met or, or having to, I heard someone say like having a uncomfortable conversations, being used to that because talking about money is super uncomfortable, but, and I used to be super like non-confrontational. And once I came out, I was like, okay, I have to, I have to have weird conversations that I don't want to have with people. And it's for me and it's for everyone else too. <laughs> and it's kind of the same, I think, talking about redistribution. Some people just don't want to totally. hear it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they're going to hear it. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I love what you said about, um, right, it not only being about moving material resources, but also about moving and shifting power. And I think that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's like for us out in the open, right? Like it's all about power and um not that resources and money are the only form of power we know that they're not but um yeah a lot of folks talk about you know like an increase in visibility being for the community and i think you know something that we say a lot is like that's great and also if it doesn't come with an increase in like access to or power like it's it's not worth it um, and I think, you know, in the case of visibility, like actually can be more dangerous for people, but the same thing kind of applies to money and redistribution. You know, it's like, it's great to give someone money, but I think giving them power is even better. Um, or both, ideally both of those things. So those things. Yeah. And I think it doesn't change anything structurally. If people only give money away, it only kind of reinforces the like philanthropy model and the white saviorism or whatever, like all of it. it, And I also have seen in organizing people that they're first so ready to like learn organizations where to give, how to give, and are like, now that I got that, I can leave, (laughs) I'm done. I don't have to do any of the internal work, (laughs) which is what carries it to the next stages beyond capitalism, I think. Yeah stages beyond capitalism let's get there (laughs) Um, yeah is there what what's kind of like sparked this for you you know you were just talking about internal work a little bit can you yeah like what what sort of like started this internal work for you and how how did you start thinking about these ideas or get involved in this kind of work I think it's very queer (laughs) it's origin um I I was totally like I was not aware of my class situation um, in a radicalized sense at all. Um, I was really ashamed of it and really embarrassed. And um, I went to the Penny School in Vermont. So it's kind of founded on this. It's like a Marxist, really expensive private school. That's like a farming and art school. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you can imagine how that would kind of clash in one's (laughs) young teenage identity. When I got to college, I went to Rhode Island School of Design, which was like a, an art school. And it was the first time where it was kind of cool to have money. People mm. weren't hiding it at all. And you could very easily kind of use it for social capital. And I found that bizarre, but I, I started dating someone at Smith. And I would go to Smith like every weekend. And this friend was like, you have no idea how much power and privilege you have. And they had a roommate who was in resource generation. And um, I hope 
I hope this person isn't listening to this, but I mean, they know, they know that they introduced me to this work in like a very kind of like shame and guilt driven mm. manner. And it like, before I was able to kind of pause and recognize everything, I was like, I'm a terrible person. I have more power than, <laughs> than I had any control over. And I'm doing all this stuff that I don't even realize I don't want to be doing. And, um, and I joined RG in that, space and sort of I just like really shut down and um I but I continued to organize and continue to do stuff through that and for me it was it was a really really painful kind of who am I I'm a bad person <laughs> like I needed yeah. I guess I needed to go through there I I now am really trying to work through like how can I kind of heal that as I organize other people and not bring that in because it it kind of inevitably seeps in in a lot of ways um so I'm I'm really trying to work on like how do we it I think guilt and shame are like natural indicators like something's wrong (laughs) Mm. something needs to change but um how do I kind of I, I think you can get it in both directions where people are either like I'm amazing. I worked so hard for this. Like, don't tell me that I, this isn't mine and I don't deserve this or like mm. I'm a horrible person and thinking that we have way more control over the situations that we're born into. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a fine line, I think, for organizing people. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, it's also right, like guilt and shame serves no one, you know? And it's like, I think you know, you were saying like that, that for you also feels really queer. And I think so Mm -hmm. many of us in those parts of our identities too, can get stuck in that kind of place. And, um, right. The, like, I, I want this, I am this, like feeling bad about yourself. I'm a terrible person. All that kind of stuff feels like so reminiscent to me of, yeah, just like, you know, some of my own experience, some uh, like experiences I hear from other people and, it's so hard to move to like somewhere powerful and productive if like you're stuck there. And so I think, um, yeah, I mean, we talk about healing a lot in our work and I think, um, yeah, just like it doesn't help anyone to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of us do. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. so I think like you, you wanting to shift, that experience for other as you're like continuing to bring other people into the work is really um important um and i'm yeah and just like i'm glad to hear that i'm not glad to hear you had that experience but i'm glad yeah just to like know that you're trying to shift that for other folks too um feels really important way you were you gonna can... say a thing Ain? oh well, that was exactly what i was kind of asking like what are ways that you can shift that because i, I hear that sometimes too from a lot of people and yeah. you know how, how can you look at it differently I mean, I think a lot of it is honoring what, why that's coming up and where it's coming from and investigating that together because um, it's a real thing that comes up for pretty much every person I've talked to that has this experience. And the, the kind of disconnect is that people don't really have room for that in, in our culture right now, understandably. Um, but it's like, I do not want to hear about how that's hard for you. <laughs> Um, from most people (laughs) and and oftentimes that's coming from a place I've seen that it comes from a place of people neglecting their own kind of guilt and shame about their own class privilege um 
which comes in all various forms. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like, I don't want to hear about it because I'm not paying attention to it. So I, I think in some ways it's kind of pushing through that and being like, why is this? What's, what's coming up here? In some ways it's like, okay, not this isn't meant to happen here. Um, that's why I think the resource generation praxis groups for people with wealth to kind of work through the internal, like familial, interpersonal um, stuff that comes up, trauma that comes around money. Um, and sort of through all of that, like on the other side, I think has come a place of like just deep understanding through like gender and sexuality work in all of it and class and whiteness and just understanding like I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm doing my best <laughs> and, um, and just like really needing to push hard on that and, and realize also that a lot of the, yeah, as you were saying, HB, like the stuff that I'm pushing against, I thought was just guilt and shame about money and is so many other things. And the, the expectation I've, I've kind of come to realize what I like internalized of other people's expectations of me mm. very connected to sexuality and gender and, um, and like just demeanor, I guess. Like if, if you're, if you have a lot to give and you're open to, to hearing from people, people are going to ask you and they should, but you have to learn how to like have some sense of self and also mm you're um, socialized as a woman or perceived as a woman, people are going to expect a lot more from you than they ever do from like any of the wealthiest cis white straight men that were around me yeah. <laughs> all the time that no one ever <laughs> talked to. So mm -hmm. it was realizing like, okay, some of this is me and some of this is other people. And like, I, I have to find my, um, I just have to love myself <laughs> first. Yes. Um, it was just making me think, you know, I was like, oh, no one's served by guilt and shame, but capitalism is absolutely served by like our, our guilt and shame and keeping us away from each other. And I think like part of, yeah, like part of my interest in this show and like in our work in general is like, here we are together. What are the ways that we can build together across all kinds of difference? And some, you know, that is, yeah, like extends to, things related to identity extends to things related to who has access to resources and doesn't and um finding ways through that together um is really important and yay for loving ourselves <laughs> <laughs> is in this time and every time <laughs> um can we talk about funding queerly totally yes tell us tell folks who are not familiar um what funding queerly is Let's start there. Yeah. Um, Funding Queerly is a giving circle that um, was started, I think, about seven years ago and is run by, is a kind of a donor advised fund, which means it's housed at the Australia Lesbian Foundation, but is kind of like its, its own operating organism with staff that work at Australia. Um, and we fund each year about 15 really small grassroots organizations um, and we are doing two-year commitments and often we're like the first it's all lgbtq organizations 70 percent black-led undocumented indigenous run groups 
and um, they're usually, it's like their first grant. Um, so we're really interested in finding groups that haven't gotten kind of their foot in the door of philanthropy, which is the, kind of, a, there's a huge barrier for like once you're in philanthropy, it's so much easier to get funding and before you're there, um, really hard. Uh, so our goal is to kind of like bridge that gap and get people into a place where they can have access to more funding in the future. And the, the idea of the giving circle is that it's a really kind of special model within uh, philanthropy, which is so traditional and um, isn't really about redistribution of power at all, is more about like moving money around for certain people to get more power. <laughs> totally, yes, yes. <laughs> the giving circle is such a great model because it really disseminates the idea of like one person or like a foundation giving, um, bestowing money upon um, other people. And we are intentionally don't have decision-making power as, as members who give money and fundraise. Our main goal is like, how do we, as like queer wealthy people use our networks of either queer wealthy people, people or our families who are people that without a queer family member would never be giving to trans groups to like Somos Familia or like the groups that we're giving to. Um, and it, it is like, as a member of the circle is like enlightening and enriches my relationships with with everybody, with the circle, the group that I'm giving with, with my family, with the, with the groups that we're funding. It's um, much different from writing a check and just sending it off or giving it to an organization. Um, for me, it's like a way where I have to do work and be invested and involved in this in a personal way, but I don't have control and power over like, oh, you're, you're grant your, your application didn't make sense so like we're not giving you any money or yeah I, I have no I have no expertise in that and why would I and, and there are people who are organizers who are deciding those things who, who have been um the person who runs who kind of decides where we give the money um was a grantee in the past so she really understands like what it's like to fill out an application and the time that goes into that and she understands the, the field. Better. Yeah. We should also say a disclosure that Out in the Open has received funding from Funding Queerly for a bunch of years. And I, you know, like exactly what you were describing of um, like it being folks, a lot of folks first money um, for their organization. Like that's absolutely true for us. If the Funding Queerly application was the first grant that I ever wrote at all in my life. Um, yes, I, I came to this job um, never having been an ED, never having written a grant before ever. And um, yeah, it was, that was definitely some of the first money that supported us. And, um, and it, it, it's like, even among organizations, there's a lot of incredible, I think, groups right now that are funding in the way that funding clearly is. And I think, partially inspired by um, that group's work. Um, but it, it is like astounding how much easier it is to get money when you're already, like you've been given money, you know, what you were saying. And like that continues to surprise me, um, but is, is like absolutely true. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to share what we've learned through, you know, working with foundations. And so, yeah, if there are, if there are folks out there listening to this episode who are like trying to get their first money in the door, like reach out to us and I'm happy to talk with you. Um, yeah, and we, we want people to apply and it's not, I mean, maybe you, you can speak more to this. It, I, I don't think it's a heavy lift of a um, application. But. Yeah, in my experience, you all funding Queerly was some of the first folks that were saying, hey, we acknowledge that, um, it, you know, you all have limited resources to do the work in your community. And so we're going to shift what our application looks like so that you can prioritize doing the work that we're giving you money to support mm -hmm. doing. And I think, um, yeah, so that's been really, and even, even the awareness that um, a funder would have that understanding of the work, I think is really powerful. Um, so hard, I definitely agree that, uh, yes, the application is not overly daunting. Um, so yay for that. <laughs> um, I would love to hear more about, you know, I feel like Funding Queerly also was one of the first groups that was like, really specific about like, here's who within LGBTQ movement, like we want to give money to. We're prioritizing Black-led work, trans-led work, and rural work, and like, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'd love to hear more about like, what are the continued conversations about how you're prioritizing? Um, well, I you know, yeah, like you said, like the folks, you're not necessarily involved in the decision-making, but it seems like even like the positioning of the funds, we'd love to hear some more about that. Yeah, the framework dictates like what yeah. we can do. Um, and, and I think like the collective framework is important to have um, to kind of keep it accountable. And yeah, I think, well, that, it, that was made before I got there. I've, I've been apart for three years and that, that's pretty much a response to philanthropy giving like 0% of its money to LGBTQ organizing. And then if within that you look at marginalized communities are getting nothing like, I mean, Native American organizing within, um, philanthropy gets 0.02% of funding. And I mean, it's just, it's atrocious when you really look at it. Um, philanthropy is just failing to actually serve people. Um, so we're just trying to intentionally center folks who are at the, at the farthest margins of, of where the money's going and um, I think our belief is always if you center if you center the folks who are who are who are the farthest away, then then you liberate everybody. Um, everything else, mm. it's just the opposite of the kind of old old rhetoric of trickle down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like let me let me break the glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, societally, we will learn that like that is not what happens. Yeah. Um, I think we're someday, getting, someday. I don't know. Actually, it's it's actually been really interesting to do um, this work within my family. Kind of saying like, why are you giving to more than one? Or like, I already gave to a a queer group. It's like, why would I need to give to another one? <laughs> right. Like, mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, box. I have to. I have to like vouch for why my existence is important to my own family. I think that says a lot about where we are in terms of uh, moving power and, and seeing mm. valuable and important. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
thinking about, you know, here we are in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, just talking about like thinking about where we could be going, um, like in your ideal world, I guess both, both during this pandemic and after in your dream world vision for how there's access to wealth and resources, what, like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I've been thinking about this so much. Um, Mm -hmm. I think somebody at um, Resource Generation Yaya uh, had this great, we were talking about um, kind of what to do in the meantime while we're trying to get to to our our greater vision. And um, they were saying like, if I had a, a switch and I could just get everyone who, everyone with inherited wealth to just give it away tomorrow, I would have to think twice about that because it wouldn't necessarily change the way that we treat each other and and understand each other. And in in the next revolution um, or evolution, if we don't understand that, like we need to have what each other needs, and that it's not just about like we had this and now you have it. It's this is for all of us. That's why we're redistributing. Um, it, it was a, an extractive and a not a good method in the first place that made this happen. Mm. Trying to like reverse it, <laughs> mm. and it, it's just inherently exploitative to um, for us to have more than than we need or more than each other has. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically what Yaya said was like, I just want a world in which we have what each other needs, and I totally feel that and. Yeah, I just, I really deeply, deeply want that. Mm. And I think we're just on the path there, trying to find it, kind of feeling it out with our eyes closed a little bit. Totally. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, it feels like a really powerful image for me. You know, like we know it's out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, like we are walking the path and like, the more of us that are together, like the faster we can find it. Yeah, um, yeah I'm seeing more and more that that young people are seeing these separations between us and just don't want it. And, and we don't necessarily know to point to what we've been given or what historically has been given, given to us or our ancestors, but um, it, it's a very real and tangible rift and I see it come up daily. Um, the more I do this work, the more I want things to change because I, I see how even, even though this is what I'm doing all the time, it's still constantly creating rifts and separations. Like this is not, redistribution is not the answer. It's just part of the process. Yeah. <sighs> um, and did you want to jump into the question? Well, that's, that's making me think, you know, groups like um, Estrella Foundation, Funding Queerly, and Research Generation have been thinking about wealth redistribution and uh, mutual aid and funding and things like that for a long time. Um, but right now we're seeing actually recovery and assistance money coming from federal and state governments mm-hmm. um, in a way that maybe we haven't seen or haven't seen in my lifetime, at least. And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering about your thoughts of uh, personal wealth redistribution through community-based and person-to-person does that match the scale of the issue we're facing presently? It sounds like you just said no to that already, but, um, and do governments have a role in that? Do, does the broader community, not just people with access to wealth, 
have a role and what could that look like? Totally. I mean, it's such a, it's such a big question and I would love to hear from like so many people, what people think about this. Um, I absolutely think that the government should be doing that. Like that's should, what should be happening all the time on a much bigger scale. This is not enough money for people right now. Um, and it's better than nothing. And um, I think it's just harm reduction right now. And, and mutual aid is a huge, I mean, I think it's a, a combination of, um, what, what is, sometimes it comes into question, like if we're doing this ourselves, are we really challenging the government to be doing this? And um, I think there's a lot of ways that a person with wealth can leverage their power and can challenge corporations and um, challenge the government. And, and, it's, and we need to be doing that um, because this money alone, I mean, even just ideologically, it's not the answer, but even the money of, of us doing this alone isn't enough. Um, or, I mean, we do have enough for everyone, but it's not a long-term solution. And obviously I, I don't believe in capitalism. I think socialism or whatever you want to call it, where there's systems in place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I just don't, I'm sick of this. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want our future generations of kids to have to do this. And this is just not, not the answer. Um, and the government needs to be doing so much. But I mean, obviously, like, this is not, this is not enough. <laughs> it's always going to be like just enough to keep people from having an uprising and from actually I mean, not that people aren't suffering and dying and hungry, but that it's just enough to kind of make people say, like, I don't have the energy to, to fight this. Right. Um, and, and what, like $2 trillion went to Wall Street or something? Mm-hmm. Like, there's always going to be so much money that's, that the government has. I mean, there's enough for them to do it. Yeah. There was a really interesting, I think it's like, um, I want to say it's like the, some of the Disney heirs, um, like heirs to the Disney fortune have been talking recently about like exactly what you were just saying, like, like keeping working folks just enough so that there isn't an uprising and, and using that as a case to convince other like billionaires and extremely rich people that they should be giving more of their wealth away um, to like quell a revolution, which was like a very interesting perspective and like Trump really troubling. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Another thing that's wrong with philanthropy. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like you can do the guilt and shame, the quelling a revolution. So yeah. Well, then that makes me, you know, what to ask, like, how do you, how would you talk to somebody who's like, I don't know anything about this. I'm hearing this radio show and wow, maybe I could do that. Or I don't know. Why should I do that? And how? I like when you say philanthropy is terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, well, maybe not. <laughs> What's starting to, what I'm starting to experience in this time after moving through so much of, of the guilt and the shame, it's starting to come to a place where I'm like, I am so lucky that this is my problem that I have to help people right now. And um, 
alleviate some pain. And that is when I tap into my internal sense of abundance and my, and, and deal with my scarcity, um, it feels so good to feel like I have something to offer and, and we all do so much to offer. And um, I think people are afraid of, of letting go of, of just letting go. <laughs> um, and, and we don't think we have, I think another reason that so many queer people are doing this is we understand that like our identities are so much deeper than our stuff that we have or the money we have um, or even the family that we have because sometimes we don't have that and um, we have to find other ways to connect and love each other and money just is not going to be the thing that brings you connection and love and um, and actually the opposite <laughs> it's only really keeping you from being connected to yourself and other people and um, there is joy in, in giving it away, but I think, and you have to find the joy or else it's not worth it. But I think you kind of have to do it <laughs> if you want to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a, it's a very spiritual process for me. Um, it's, it's very connected to my practice of meditation. And um, yeah, the more I the more I feel connected to myself and, and community, the more I give away. And, and also I think it's just people don't know where to start too. Mm. So I, I think really essential is just like do something, <laughs> just literally anything. Yes. Um, because it, it will get the ball rolling and you're, you'll start to, I mean, the stuff that I started doing, I'm embarrassed about, but it brought me to where I am now and wherever I will be later. Um, that like you you don't have to be what you were given. You can you can be a class trader. There are other options. Yeah. And again, Absolutely. such a clear notion. I mean, I, you know, being a person who was assigned something at birth that I don't identify with, it very much resonates with me to not be the thing you were assigned and to live the way that you feel regardless of what you were handed. So I just love that perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel like um, sometimes, I don't know if you guys feel this way, like I, it's so hard being queer and non-binary sometimes, but I'm so grateful that I have like, have been given something, something that makes me push against what capitalism and colonialism and all of that stuff has forced. I, I have to push against it. I, it's not easy for me to sit within it and, um, I, I see how people around me suffer that can easily just go with the flow. Um, and it's, and if you don't have a community too, of people who like have been going against the flow and have tools and tactics and, and like the other thing too, is like when you come out, there's glitter and sex and love and everything. When you start giving money away, like it's not the same or when you like, but it's, totally worth it and I mean I say that all the time you know it's like, all right my like my queerness is not a choice and if it were I would choose it a million times <laughs> over every single time over and over again absolutely yes like yeah has both been like a source of great struggle and like the biggest source of like great joy in my life and I think that's you know 
there's a lot about, yeah, like what you're saying that is like, you know, like, yeah, I'm embarrassed about all kinds of things I did also in my past. And I think like some level of, I mean, that's where like, right, like con the connection is important and like authentically connecting as like people in this work together for me is like what allows me to see like through that and connect. I mean, you were just saying, yeah, like that was five ideas at once. Queerness is great. We should, we're all in this together. And like, you know, it's, it, it's like a similar kind of thing of, yeah, like it's like the eat the rich notion, right? Like, yes. And there's people out there who have access to wealth who are out there to like exploit and like kill and like in it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's people out there with access to wealth who are like, let me do this in like a conscious way that's in like collaboration and power sharing with folks. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a great time to rail against rich people and it's a great time to build with rich people. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for welcoming the building too. That's, you know, that's why this is also a great conversation for people to see that there are people really doing this work. Well, thank you guys for the work you do. I mean, I've like personally, I think what's so special for me about this is like going to the out in the open summit was the first time that I was like this work I'm funding this work for myself <laughs> too. Mm. Like, I need this too and um the more it's meaningful I think um for me the more it's just meaningful in general and I'm I'm just like personally grateful for the work you guys are doing and mm. um yeah, it just feels, it, it's also really niche and really like, I had no idea that I needed a queer and trans community in a rural space until I was there and it just felt so good. Yeah. <sighs> I'm really glad you were able to be here and yeah, just look forward to continuing to stay connected. And um, yeah, is there anything else that we didn't ask you about that you were like, I really want to talk about this or anything else that's on your mind? The one thing I wanted to say is that I know that there are a lot of um, in especially like Brattleboro area in Vermont, there are a lot of like you can check off one of these things like queer, trans, hippie, hiding your class privilege. <laughs> and like you, you don't have to do that. Um, I, I understand why you, you feel like you have to do that if you're if you don't know what to do with the money, but there are resources, there's resource generation, you can email me at flanneryagnes at gmail.com. <laughs> um, like it's, it will, people know also, like people know that you have money um, and you can do something with it and you can really help people a lot more than, than hiding it. Um, yeah, there's a place for you. <laughs> mm, that is great. That's direct advice too. That's what we're <laughs> speaking directly to the people. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. This was really fun and generative and many other things. Flannery. Thank Please. you so much. Everybody.